0: Morning. Welcome to Camarillo Community Church. I was just praying that God would help me collect myself. He's still Lord even in the midst of the storm. Isn't that a powerful truth? And uh, I love those, uh, this will help me get clear, Uh, I love those hymn-like songs. I call them hymn-like songs. They have a lot of depth in them. And uh, we try to do at least one a week. And uh, we've just found an album. Shane and Shane did an album where they redid hymns. And so they're coming to a Camarillo Community Church near you. And, uh, and I love it because they took those songs, those hymn-like songs. They're so rich in depth. And at the same time, at the end of the song, they just they throw the, I mean, the top goes off of the song. So it gets loud and crazy and awesome. And so uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing that we found that we'll be able to implement in the near future. What we're trying to do around here is be a multi-generational church. hard thing to do. Uh, um, if you know somebody who does it well, let me know. It's a hard thing to do. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take these hymn-like songs, and our elders will love that. By the end of the songs, get really loud. <laughs> it's going to get really loud, and our youngers are going to love that. And uh, we're going to have there's going to be a piece of the song that both of you uh, in both worlds will like. But we're going to have to meet each other halfway. We're going to be able to accomplish that together. Amen. Multi-generational church, not an easy thing to do. We're going to try it, so uh, that's coming uh, close. Good, I feel better already. All right, so uh, listen, we're in uh, our series Galatia. It's really the idea of, of Paul's letter to the Galatian church. We started a couple weeks ago, and we're going to dive right back into it again. And so uh, I'm excited about it. It was about uh, night, late late 1980s, and uh, my family was invited to go to a, a camping trip with some friends. We don't have family in the states, and so uh, it was like another family, the Hispanic thing. They say, "Hey, why don't you come with us?" A, my mother was a friend of this lady who was a grandmother. She had three boys. They were older. They were married, and they had their children. And so why don't you come with us? We're going to Yosemite. We're going to go to that, that, that tent canopy area in Yosemite where they had like a little river running through it, and, and there's, you ever been that canopy area over there? And so we're, we have about five or six different sites, different canopies that we've rented out. Why don't the Hurtado family, why don't you guys come with? And so we went. There's probably 25 of us in total. Uh, we need to consider the adults and the children. Everybody scattered all over the place in the canopy village there. And so we went together, and as you can well imagine, there's 25 of you. Some point during the week, there's going to be some kind of drama. But nothing could have prepared me for what was going to happen. You see, one of the, uh, one of the sons of the grandmother person that we were a friend of that invited us to come, uh, one of the sons was upset because his wife had lost a piece of jewelry, uh, and so uh, in, in, in her mind, somebody had come into their canopy tent or canopy uh, area and stole a piece of jewelry. I don't remember if it was a ring or a necklace or earrings. I don't remember what it was, but I just remember it was some kind of jewelry and it was gone. And then her husband actually pointed me out in front of everybody and said, you, you came into my canopy and stole the earring set or the necklace set or the, or the, or the ring or whatever it was. And I cannot believe how he would point me out in front of everybody and say, you were the one who stole it. I don't know why he got in his mind. I don't know how his wife, maybe his wife said, I saw David running in there or something. But I mean, I was no more than nine years old at the time. And I remember that horrible feeling inside going, are you going to accuse me and my character and disparage me for doing something I didn't do? I had stolen one thing in my life at that point. It was at like a, a Home Depot store. It was like a sticker. And it felt so horrible, I vowed to never steal again. As I walked out the door, I was like, they're going to kill me, they're going to kill me. And I said, I'm never, so I never stole anything again because even though I got away with it, it felt so horrible, I wouldn't do it again. And so here I am being accused in front of everybody, and so in my little nine-year-old mind, or lower, maybe eight or seven years old, I said to myself, I know what I'll do. I'll go into the canopy, search all their stuff, find the missing item, and say, hey, look, I found it. it I didn't steal it. Look, I found it. Didn't realize in my mind that if I showed up with the missing item, they'd go, see, you did steal it. But I, in my mind, I'm going, I'll just go through that. So I went into their canopy, and I went through all of their luggage and all of their stuff to try to find the item that was missing. I didn't find it. And thankfully, they didn't know, but I, you wonder if they had suspicions. They came back in there, and everything's kind of tossed up and trying to find things. But I remember that feeling inside of myself going, man, this person thinks I've done something that I did not do. This person has disparaged my character. This person has discredited me and publicly in front of everybody. So I'm now the person that looks like I've done this when I haven't done it. Can you relate to that feeling? Have you ever been discredited before? Have you ever been, has your integrity ever been maligned? Have you ever been in a situation, maybe you're in one right now, where you're feeling like you're being discredited unduly. If you've ever felt anything like that, it'll be very easy for you to relate to the issue that Paul's dealing with in the text today in Galatians where he's trying to validate himself to his readers. I've been disparaged, I've been discredited, my gospel message has been discredited, my apostleship has been discredited, and I'm just trying to validate myself before. I came into town, you remember the beginning of the Galatian series we talked about, I came into town, started these churches, you accepted the gospel, and you're so quickly running away. Now you're running off, and you're running off because people are saying to you, he's not really an apostle, his gospel is really not true, His message isn't right. And he's saying, I'm just trying to validate the message for myself, not because of anything in me, but because of what it represents for you. And that's what he's going to be going to. We're going to ask questions like, what items in his life validated him? What were the items in his life that validated him? What things in his past validated him? And what things in his present were validating him? And following his example, how can we be validated as well? How can we in our lives also be validated in the same way that Paul was validated? So if you have a Bible, open it up right now to Galatians chapter 1. If you have your, uh, your, your phone with you and you have an app, please open up to Galatians chapter 1. We're going to be there together, kind of finishing up chapter 1 today. And the really overarching question that we're going to see today is, how does God validate the gospel to those watching us? How does God validate the gospel to those watching us? There are people watching us all the time. How does he use our lives in the validation of the gospel? That's what we're going to see. And the first thing we're going to see is he points out the absurdity of our past life. He points out the absurdity that is our past life. That before we came to know Christ, what did life look like? I'm going to point out the absurdity of what that looked like in validating the gospel, in validating myself. We're going to see that in Galatians chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 11. And let's... Read together. Before, you be with you on the screen as well if you don't have a Bible with you. It says this. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For, it did not, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard my former way of life in Judaism. Here's the old life. How I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my own people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. My fathers. Uh, We'll stop right there. How does God validate the gospel to those watching us? He points out the absurdity of our past life. And you remember, I came into town, I started these churches, I preached this gospel. You so freely accepted it at first, and now you're deviating. We looked at that last week. You're deviating because people are talking. And that's the constant. I'm just here to tell you the things that I have said are so clearly from God. My life is so clearly, if you look at the trajectory of my life, you will see that God had to be a part of this. That's he's, what He's trying to convince Him of. God's name is written all over this thing. The gospel that I preached was not man's gospel. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, uh, man devised. It wasn't according to man. It, was, it has no human origin. So clearly, God related to me and vision and revelation through Jesus Christ himself. That's how I heard the gospel. I didn't get this from somebody else. I didn't, somebody else didn't tutor me in this. The apostles didn't come alongside me and say, hey, this is what you need to say, this is how you say it. I didn't go to seminary. No, it was just me and God. And I came and I preached it to you and you listened so freely and now you're, so, you're deviating. All because of these people and what they're saying about me. But, but my life doesn't add up to what they're saying. That's what he's telling them. My life doesn't add up to what they're saying. They're saying it's not of God, whatever. You know, he's changing the message. Just look at my life and you will see in the absurdity of my past, you'll see that God had to be involved in the midst of this for this to happen. He says, I'll prove it to you. You remember how I was before, uh, before I came to know Christ, how zealous I was. I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my own people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. I was like the, 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 the epitome of what you should do in Judaism. In fact, in fact, I was, I was so zealous. I was more zealous than all my contemporaries, all my buddies that were with me and leading this thing. I was more zealous than them. I was zipping past them. In fact, the Greek word there has the idea of cutting somebody off. You ever been on the freeway and been cut off by somebody and you're like, eh. You know, that kind of thing? He's cutting people off as he gets on the fast track to his career path in religiosity. That's the idea. I'm zipping past everybody. I'm on the fast track. In fact, we can see exactly uh, his credentials in Philippians chapter 3. I put it on the screen for you. Philippians chapter 3 says, If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Let me tell you, you guys think you can walk, you think you, think you're, you, know, you have a, a, a resume that's better than mine, let me show you mine. Uh, circumcised on the eighth day, uh, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever I have gained, I counted loss for the sake of Christ." Listen, I have the whole uh, resume that you look for, for the person who's on the fast track to religiosity and proving that that they in themselves can be acceptable before God. I did all that. I tried all that. And I look back and I go, there's not one thing I would own on that. I often say this. I don't claim anything except for the blood of Christ. Nothing in my life. If I do it to the glory of Jesus, praise God. But I claim nothing but the blood of Jesus. And that's what he's saying. I only claim Jesus. I'm not gonna claim any of these other activities that are supposed to make you acceptable before God in some way. No, 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 that's rubbish. I only claim God. If you're thinking of discrediting my credentials, just understand this, I have them all. I have more credentials than you do. I have a better resume than you do. He was so defensive of the traditions of his fathers that he would persecute the church. We talked about this a lot in the book of Mark. Here's the Bible, and what we we did in the first century is we would put this hedge of protection around the Bible. It's like a fence around the Bible. So there's these regulations that are decreed by God that we should follow in the word of God. What they did is they added a fence of protection around it, and if you don't get close to the fence, then you won't ever encroach on the Bible, and so the idea was we'll put these extra rules in, and then if we don't get close to those rules, we won't. But what happened was the rules on the outside became more important than the rules on the inside and the heart that that the inside requires you was gone and all we did was do this, this fence of protection all we worried about those extra traditions of men and he's saying i man, i've done all those things i've defended them to the point that i would even persecute believers and try to destroy the church that's who i was that's the absurdity of my past In fact, I wanted to show you some things that we see in the book of Acts that Paul is uh, known for, had the reputation for. It'll be on the screen. Paul's life prior to coming to know Jesus Christ. Uh, Number one, his reputation was as the chief persecutor of believers and was known to both insiders and outsiders of the church, according to Acts chapter nine and Acts chapter 22. He received permission to seize Christians and bring them back to Jerusalem for punishment, according to Acts nine. He was like a Christian bounty hunter. Give me their names, I'll go get them. I'll go into other towns, I'll arrest them and bring them back. That's what he was doing. Number three, he imprisoned both men and women in Jerusalem, according to Acts 26. So it wasn't just men. He would, anybody who claimed the name of Christ, I'm going to come after you. That's what he was known for. He brought uh, uh, threats uh, and and slaughtered Christians, according to Acts 9. And then number five, he also uh, oversaw the stoning of Stephen. Acts chapter seven and chapter eight. So he was the orchestrator, the mastermind, whatever. I oversaw it. I give my, yes, you can. He was in charge. This is what he was, so much so, he's such a terrorist to Christians. Okay, this is the Paul that we're reading right now. So much so, he was such a terrorist to Christians that when he came to faith, they wouldn't meet with him. Well, Paul, the guy that used to persecute us, now he's preaching the faith. Yeah, whatever. What if that's his cover just to come get us? That was their mindset. They were scared of him. So when it says uh, beyond measure, he had, he had a zeal beyond measure, beyond many of his own age, so extremely zealous. That's what it's talking about. He was so zealous for the traditions of his fathers and the traditions of the faith of Judaism that he even would kill to defend it. He would orchestrate people's deaths to defend it. It says he personally made it his own uh, uh, personal Uh, goal in life, to destroy Christianity by himself. It's my personal goal to destroy this thing. The idea to destroy there is the idea of soldiers going through a town and ravaging it house by house. Paul says, I'm going to destroy this thing on my own. That's how zealous I am for this thing. Interestingly enough, complete side note, but he was at the school of Gamel. He was one that's who he learned under. Gamel would actually say, do not get uh, um, physical in your, in your um, uh, defense of your faith. He, he believed in more of a pacifistic kind of uh, um, uh, religiosity. Paul says, no, I'm gonna take it a, f- a step further than my, even my own mentor. I will defend this thing. I will even kill to defend it. And so he's reminding them of who he was and what his dark side was. you know. So often in our lives we say, you know, I just wanna t- take those ugly things in my past, I just wanna put it in the back of my brain and lock it up in like five different padlocks in that closet back there. I'm never gonna think about it again. And here Paul is saying, now I'm gonna bring these things up and he kind of openly says them almost brazenly about it, but he's not being brazen about it as if he's proud of what he did. He's trying to share the absurdity of what happened here. How does this happen? That that guy that did all the things that we just talked about turns into the guy who represents God, how does that happen? that the, 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 the persecutor becomes a preacher, the tormentor becomes a teacher, that the exterminator becomes the evangelist, that the killer becomes a cleric, that the murderer becomes a martyr. How does that happen? He says so clearly it's absurd. The only way that happens is if God himself is involved. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. How does God validate the gospel to those watching? He points out the absurdity of our past life. Can I just tell you a story about me and what I looked like before I came to know Jesus Christ? And then there was this moment where I had this God moment, divine moment, divine appointment, whatever you would call it, coming to know Jesus, I don't even know how to phrase it, but I'm just telling you, whatever happened there, the person afterwards is a lot different than the person before. It's just different. Like, he radically changed me, transformed me. How does God validate the gospel of those watching? Number one, he points out the absurdity of our past life, number two, He points out the reality of our present life. He points to the transformation. That's what we're going to see in the second section. He points to the transformation. Let's see what happens. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem, to those who were the apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. And then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit, visit Cephas, which is just the Aramaic name for Peter, and, re, and remained with him for 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except for James, the, the Lord's brother. And I, when I'm writing you, before God, I'm not telling a lie. And then I went to the regions of uh, 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 Syria and Sicily, and I was still unknown to, the, to I was still known in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. Only, uh, they, were only, they only were hearing it and saying, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorify God because of me. How does God validate the gospel to those watching? He points to the reality of the present life. He points to the transformation. Look who I was, and look who I am now. Look what I did, and look what I do now. And all I can tell you is I was this person. Jesus moment, boom, there's a new person over here. And that's what he's showing them. And then he goes, let me tell you the situation. The situation is there was this moment where God called me and change me from the inside out. Now, I I don't know, see this is so hard for somebody like me who didn't grow up in the church to explain this to people who have grown up in the church. Sometimes I I even even struggle with my own kids because they grew up in the church. I didn't grow up in this thing. So 14 years old, so clearly,